Book Five, Chapter Twelve of Les Misérables, translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zachary Brewster Geis. Les Misérables by Victor Hugo, Book Fifth, The Descent, Chapter Twelve. Monsieur Bamatabois's inactivity. There is in all small towns, and there was at Montreuil-sur-Mer in particular, a class of young men who nibble away an income of fifteen hundred francs with the same air with which their prototypes devour two hundred thousand francs a year in Paris. These are beings of the great neuter species, impotent men, parasites, ciphers, who have a little land, a little folly, a little wit, who would be rustics in a drawing-room and who think themselves gentlemen in the dram-shop, who say, "'My fields, my peasants, my woods,' who hiss actresses at the theatre to prove that they are persons of taste, quarrel with the officers of the garrison to prove that they are men of war, hunt, smoke, yawn, drink, smell of tobacco, play billiards, stare at travellers as they descend from the diligence, live at the café, dine at the inn, have a dog which eats the bones under the table, and a mistress who eats the dishes on the table.' who stick at a sou, exaggerate the fashions, admire tragedy, despise women, wear out their old boots, copy London through Paris and Paris through the medium of pont a mousson grow old as dullards, never work, serve no use, and do no great harm. Monsieur Félix Tolomai, had he remained in his own province and never beheld Paris, would have been one of these men. If they were richer one could say, they are dandies, if they were poorer, one would say, they are idlers. They are simply men without employment. Among these unemployed there are bores, the bored, dreamers, and some knaves. At that period a dandy was composed of a tall collar, a big cravat, a watch with trinkets, three vests of different colors, worn one on top of the other, the red and blue inside, of a short-waisted olive coat with a codfish tail, a double row of silver buttons set close to each other and running up to the shoulder, and a pair of trousers of a lighter shade of olive, ornamented on the two seams with an indefinite but always uneven number of lines, varying from one to eleven, a limit which was never exceeded. Add to this high shoes with little irons on the heels, a tall hat with a narrow brim, hair worn in a tuft, an enormous cane, and conversation set off by puns of potier. Overall, spurs and a moustache. At that epoch, moustaches indicated the bourgeois, and spurs the pedestrian. The provincial dandy wore the longest of spurs and the fiercest of moustaches. It was the period of the conflict of the republics of South America with the king of Spain, of Bolivar against Morillo. Narrow-brimmed hats were royalist, and were called Morillos, Liberals wore hats with wide brims, which were called bolivars. Eight or ten months, then, after that which is related in the preceding pages, towards the first of January, 1823, on a snowy evening, one of these dandies, one of these unemployed, a right thinker, for he wore a marillo, and was moreover warmly enveloped in one of those large cloaks which completed the fashionable costume in cold weather, was amusing himself by tormenting a creature who was prowling about in a ball-dress, with neck uncovered and flowers in her hair, in front of the officer's café. This dandy was smoking, for he was decidedly fashionable. 
Each time that the woman passed in front of him, he bestowed on her, together with a puff from his cigar, some apostrophe which he considered witty and mirthful, such as, "'How ugly you are! Will you get out of my sight? You have no teeth!' etc., etc. This gentleman was known as Monsieur Bamatabois. The woman, a melancholy, decorated spectre which went and came through the snow, made him no reply, did not even glance at him, and nevertheless continued her promenade in silence, and with a sombre regularity which brought her every five minutes within reach of this sarcasm, like the condemned soldier who returns under the rods. The small effect which he produced no doubt piqued the lounger, and taking advantage of a moment when her back was turned, he crept up behind her with the gait of a wolf, and stifling his laugh, bent down, picked up a handful of snow from the pavement, and thrust it abruptly into her back between her bare shoulders. The woman uttered a roar, whirled round, gave a leap like a panther, and hurled herself upon the man, burying her nails in his face with the most frightful words which could fall from the guard-room into the gutter. These insults poured forth in a voice roughened by brandy did indeed proceed in hideous wise from a mouth which lacked its two front teeth. It was Fantine. At the noise thus produced, the officers ran out in throngs from the café, passers-by collected, and a large and merry circle, hooting and applauding, was formed around this whirlwind composed of two beings, whom there was some difficulty in recognizing as a man and a woman. The man struggling, his hat on the ground, the woman striking out with feet and fists, bareheaded, howling, minus hair and teeth, livid with wrath, horrible. Suddenly a man of lofty stature emerged vivaciously from the crowd, seized the woman by her satin bodice, which was covered with mud, and said to her, "'Follow me!' The woman raised her head. Her furious voice suddenly died away. Her eyes were glassy, she turned pale instead of livid, and she trembled with a quiver of terror. She had recognized Javert. The dandy took advantage of the incident to make his escape. End of Book 5, Chapter 12 Read by Zachary Brewster Geis, Greenbelt, Maryland, June 2007